Look at this quote from uh, Albert Einstein. Uh, you know, he died in 1955, but look at what he says. The real problem is in the hearts and minds of men. It is not a problem of physics, but ethics. It is easier to denature plutonium than to denounce the evil spirit of man. In other words, it's easier for us to do something scientifically than it is for an individual to get a handle on the evil that is inside them and do good. There's a lot of truth in what he says because the Scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None do good. No, not one. We all sin, right? So there's a lot of truth in what Albert Einstein said. And when we look around in the world, we see a lot of sin. We see a lot of things that bother us, trouble us, anger us. Is that not true? We see people constantly making bad decisions. In the news earlier this week was Bob Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, one of the most powerful men in the NFL. He's 77. He's a billionaire. He has a beautiful young girlfriend, and yet he was, you know, he's he's charged with two counts of prostitution, visiting a, a parlor, a massage parlor in Florida that not only does prostitution but also apparently participates in 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 in, in trafficking, where women from Asia and other parts of the world are brought there under. Uh, false pretense, and they're basically enslaved, made, made to be sex slaves. And the police are saying they have him on video on two different occasions. Here he is, a 77-year-old man, successful, has everything. And yet, what a bad decision. And Einstein said it's easier for us in science to do some things than it is for a person to denounce the sin, the evil, the, the, the natural nature, the natural man that is in inside of us and you pick up the local newspaper listen to the local radio stations watch the television stations out of charlotte whatever and and we see stories all the time locally of people making bad decisions and doing things we just shake our head why did you do that um just just recently uh the police uh, identified someone who had drugs in their car up here on north cherry road and they tried to block him in and the guy rammed his car He's 20-some years old, 29, I think, rammed his car into the patrol car and got away, drove to a home in Fort Mill. Well, other cops showed up there. While he's driving, he's throwing drugs out the window. That's really smart. And he gets to that house in Fort Mill, and uh, they go in and arrest him, and he's flushing drugs down the toilet with a 2-year-old and a 10-year-old standing beside him. He's arrested. The, the kid's mother, his girlfriend, she's arrested. The kids are now with... DSS, and again, we shake our heads and we think, man, you know, people make bad decisions, bad decisions, bad decisions, and you don't have to be rich or poor. It's got nothing to do with it, right? You don't have to be educated or uneducated. It has nothing to do with it. Successful or a failure has nothing to do with it. It's what Einstein talked about, that evil that is within us, that sinful nature, and it just shows up in all all these different ways. Let's be honest, it shows up in our lives sometimes too, doesn't it? But here's what I want to ask you. When you look out at our world today, what do you see and how do you feel? We're talking about the Jesus view. Jesus is our word for this this year. And and, and in this series, we're trying to understand things the way he does, see things the way he does. So I want to ask, when you look out at the world and you look at the people in it, what do you see? What do you think and how do you feel? This morning driving to church, most of us 
uh, past a whole lot of people who were not going to worship Jesus, right? I mean, uh, on, on my way, most of the houses looked like they hadn't gotten out of bed yet. Past one man outrun. It was a, you know, a little drizzle, but he's, he's outrunning, getting his exercise. The majority of people do not worship Jesus. Research, it varies depending on what you look at, but basically about one-third of the people in, the country, in, in America today will worship Jesus about once a week or somewhat close to that, if not exactly once a week. About a third of the people will go to church occasionally, off and on. Then about a third never go. And so when you're driving to church on Sunday and you pass all these houses in your neighborhood or on the highway and, and you know most of them are not worshiping Jesus, they, they have no desire to get up and, and, and be with the people of God and learn about Jesus and worship Jesus and serve Jesus, when you look and you see all of that, what goes through your mind? What do you think? What do you see? How do you, how do you feel? The, the vast majority of people living in South Carolina don't have a personal relationship with Christ. The best research we have is <clears throat> somewhere between 20 and 25% of the people in this state genuinely know Jesus Christ. We think of this being a religious state, but around 75% of the people in this state do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you see our state? How do you see our county? And when you think about the people in it, what goes through your mind? What, what, what happens within, within you? So what I want us to do this morning is to compare how we feel to how Jesus feels. What we think to what he thinks. What we see when we look out there at the world to what he sees when he looks out there at the world. Because as his followers, as his disciples, his students, his servants, we want to be more like him, right? We want to grow in Christ. What does it mean to be a growing disciple? It means to be growing in discipleship of Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him. And if that happens, that means I need to begin seeing things, thinking about things, feeling about things more and more like he does. Does anybody want to push back on that? Are, are we all in a group? Can we come to consensus that being a disciple means we want to do things, see things, think things, feel things more like him? Anybody want to push back on that? Or is that a true statement? Can we get 100% agreement on that as followers of Christ? So that's what this series is about. Let's, let's see how Jesus sees things. Because he's our Lord, not just our Savior. He's our King not just our friend. He's our God, not just our helper. So how does Jesus see this messed up world that we live in? Well, Matthew chapter 9, two verses. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt what? Did he feel anger? Now, we know there were times that Jesus experienced righteous anger, but when he looked at the masses and he, and he saw the people in this messed up world, what did he feel? He felt 
compassion for them. Why? Because, because they were distressed and dispirited. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Yours may translate those words differently. They, they, they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in verse 36, Jesus describes for us the condition of the world, the condition of our culture and the people who live in it, our neighbors, work associates, classmates, friends, the people we see on TV, the people we read about in the news. Jesus says they're all like this, distressed. Distressed in verse 36. Your Bible may translate it as weary, harassed, fainted, bewildered, confused. It comes from a, a root word. This Greek word comes from a root word that means to flay or to, or, or to basically to skin, to mangle. And so in time it came to refer to um, people just being beaten up by the worries of life. People who uh, were just harassed and and stressed by all the worries that come with living in this in this world. It's, it's the picture of people who are they're, they're torn into pieces and they're thrown down even if they don't know it. Can you imagine what's taking place? What kind of conversations are happening between Bob Kraft and his kids and grandkids within the organization? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what those little kids, that two-year-old and ten-year-old who were taken by DSS because mom and boyfriend are flushing drugs down the toilet, can you imagine those kids? Jesus said it's like people are skinned alive. It's like they're cut up and, and they're thrown down and, and life is just, and, 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 and much of it, much of it is because of decisions they're making. But they're distressed. They're, they're, they're cut to pieces dispirited. I think the, the King James translates that scattered. Other Bibles will translate it helpless, dejected, worn out. The root word means to take something and fling it, to toss it, to, to throw it. And so in, in time it came to be the picture of, of, of somebody just being picked, and they're just thrown over you. They're thrown down. They're, they're knocked down. They're, they're knocked over to the ground. They're thrown down to the ground. They're worn out. Any of you watch any of the Harry Potter movies? You're lying. Come on. How many of you watched any of the eight Harry Potter movies? I did. I watched all eight. They're entertaining movies. You know, um, those, those eight movies have made somewhere around $8 billion worldwide. Five, listen to this, five of the eight movies, five of those eight are in the top 50 all-time money-making movies. I'd say that's a pretty successful franchise. And that doesn't count all the money she's made from writing the books. I won't read the books, they're too thick. Well, Daniel Radcliffe played Harry Potter. He's the star. He was 12 years old when the first movie came out in 2001. Instantly. I mean, immediately he became famous. 
wealthy, popular, constantly in the public eye, everything he did being in the media. Can you imagine as an older child growing into your teenage years, world famous, everybody's watching, pictures being taken every time you turn around, all what you can't do anything without somebody capturing it and putting it out there in, in public. They didn't know how to deal with it. So he turned to alcohol. He said the quickest way of forgetting about the fact that you were being watched was to get very drunk. And for several years he struggled with being a drunk. Now, ultimately he, over, he overcame that, but for years here's this teenage boy struggling with drunkenness and he's famous and he's wealthy, he's successful, he's popular, he's well-liked, he's talented. Everything that in our lives and in our culture and in our world we say we, we want to be successful, make a good living, be well-liked. And yet Jesus said even people like that can be cut, mangled, tossed, thrown down, beaten up because that's life. That's the people in this world among whom we live. It's, it's some of you. Some of you are feeling like you've been filleted, like you've been mangled. Some of you feel like somebody just threw you to the side. When Jesus looked out at the world, at the crowds, at the people, that's what, that's what he saw. Again, I asked, what do you see? When you look at this world and the people in it, he goes on in verse 36, says they're, they're, they are like sheep without a, a shepherd. And this is the root cause, really, of why they are flayed and cast down. They don't have a shepherd. They, they, most of them don't even know they need one. You know why sheep needed a shepherd? It's because... They made bad decisions. They were dumb. They needed a shepherd to lead them to water to drink. Needed a shepherd to lead them to places where they could graze and feed themselves. Sheep needed a shepherd to protect them from wild animals and thieves. Sheep needed a shepherd because sometimes they would wander off and fall off a cliff or get themselves tangled in a briar and, and, and a bush and, and be stuck there for e you know, easy prey and they would need a shepherd to come and rescue them. That's what his, his crooked fork on that shepherd's staff was for so he could reach over and grab one of them and pull them back to safety where they'd gotten themselves in trouble. Jesus said that's people. In this sinful world, sinful people are like dumb sheep. They don't know it, but they are. And they get themselves in trouble. They wander off, get in trouble. They need the water of life, but they can't find it on their own. They need what, what God talks about in Psalm 23, those beautiful green pastures to, to lie down in, but they can't find it on their own.
said they need a shepherd. They don't know it. They need one, and uh, they don't have one. There's a disease. it's, It's a big, long, long word. It's abbreviated. It's called DTD. Some of you may have heard of this. It's a condition that affects the brain. Where a person is not able to create a mental map. Doesn't matter how many times they've gone somewhere, how many times they are in a place, they could be there every single day, and in their mind, they do not have the ability to capture the images and put it all together in such a way that they can they can they can move from one place to another place, that they can remember how to get anywhere. Now, everything else functions normally. It's not because of an accident. It's not because of some childhood sickness. It's just a brain condition that that part of the brain cannot hold those images together, put them together in a pattern that says to go here, walk through that door or down that block and make that turn or follow these roads. They they just can't do it. They have to have detailed instructions, directions, to get from place to place, written down or spoken to them because they can't, they can't, they can't remember it. I read about one woman who was visiting a friend and she decided, she had this, she had this problem, this DTD, she had this problem and she decided she was going to take her friend's little dog out for a walk in the neighborhood. But she forgot to write down the address. And so she'd only, only gone, you know, two or three blocks. And all of a sudden she realized she didn't know how to get back. She didn't know if she went this way, if she'd be going in the right direction or the wrong direction, getting closer or further away. She just, no, no concept of which direction to move, what to do. Even if she called the police, she, she didn't have the address. So she knocked on the door and found someone who knew the person, and then that person was able to guide her back to the house. Jesus Jesus says that's our world. They don't know know how to get to the right place. They just don't know they're lost. They don't know they have this problem called sin that is making a mess of things. They're sheep without a shepherd to direct them in life. That's, That's how Jesus sees the people of this world. Do you? He, he says they have people who are influencing him. It's just not a good shepherd. <clears throat> In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, the, the good shepherd loves the sheep, cares about the sheep, and is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the sheep. Aren't you thankful Jesus is your shepherd? Verse 12, in contrast to himself, in contrast to Jesus, he says, the one who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, hey, I'm so thankful every day Jesus owns me and I'm in his hand and nobody can rip me out. 
but not everybody's there. All the people in this world who don't know Christ, they're not in his hand. They don't have that security. He's not their shepherd. Instead, they're being guarded, guided, if you will, by a hired hand. And Jesus in verse 12 says, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep, runs away, flees. So the wolf snatches them and scatters them. That's how they get flayed, cut to pieces, knocked down in life. Verse 13, he flees. This hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Jesus is saying the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. Well, brothers and sisters, the Father sent the shepherd for us, right? Who do you think is the person that hires the cowardly hired hand to influence and look over all the lost people in this world? It's not the Father. It's Satan. And he raises up all kinds of hired hands, all kinds of people to influence people, to direct people, to work in people's life, and he doesn't care about them. So if the wolf snatches them, the wolf flays them, the wolf scatters them, he doesn't care. And Jesus is saying that's the reality of the people in this world. They need the real shepherd, the good shepherd. John chapter 8, one more verse, verse 44. In the middle of verse 44, he says of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, Cain and Abel. God said to Cain before he killed Abel, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. Adam and Eve, the death and destruction brought on by the sin of listening to Satan in the garden. Even in heaven when he led a rebellion and a third of the angels were expelled because they followed him in rebellion against God. From the beginning, he was a murderer. He continues in verse 44 saying, He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And all the stuff going on in our world, all the stuff going on in our culture, that's its origin. Now, next Sunday, we're going to talk at length about how God wants us to interact with this world and the people in it. Well, let me just say that you and I are not going to be able to interact in this culture and with the people of this world and in our communities and in our schools and our workplaces who are radically different from us because we know the shepherd and they don't because we have somebody who cares about us and all they have is a liar and a murderer who's raising up all these voices to influence them the wrong way. If we're going to interact with them the way God wants us to, we cannot do that until we begin seeing them the way Jesus sees them. 
And by the way, Jesus did not lay down his life just for you and me, did he? He laid it down for them as well. And so how, did, how, how does Jesus see the people in this world? He, 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 he sees them. He sees them back in, in, in Matthew's gospel in uh, chapter 9 in verse 36, the very first words, seeing the people. Sometimes I don't think we even see the people around us. Seeing the people, seeing the people at work who are without the shepherd, seeing the people in your club and neighborhood who do not have the shepherd, seeing your grandchildren and other relatives who do not have the good shepherd, seeing them. Because you're not going to love anybody until you start actually looking at them. Seeing them. And then Jesus had feelings. He had emotions. He felt compassion. Not anger, not hate, not disgust, but compassion. And in the Greek, it's a gut-level compassion. Because he saw deeper into who they were than they understood about themselves. He saw deeper into what was going on in their life than you and I who only focus on the surface, on the bad decisions, see. And he engaged them. Look at verse 35 in your Bible. Verse 35, Jesus was, was going through all the cities and villages, teaching, proclaiming, healing. He engaged with them, didn't he? You see, it's, it's difficult to, to feel much for people with whom we don't engage. If we don't see people, if we ignore people, if we run from people, we hide from people, we just hurl abuse at people, we stay mad at people, we don't engage with them, it's hard to feel much compassion for them. Increasingly in our church culture, we want to retreat and build fortresses and hide and this 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 world today needs us more than ever to do just the opposite to to get out and engage i understand the temptation to hide to retreat the tendency to try to protect but 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 jesus never tells us to do that He uses words like go. 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 Doesn't he? And by the way, that's what he tells us to do. We'll talk more about it next week. But chapter 10, verse 1, he sends the 12 out to do what he had been doing. There's a minority group of people in the southern part of China known as the the, uh, the Meow. And there's a church that has adopted that unreached people group and is praying for them. Now, all over their church campus, they have these posters with different facts and information about the, the Meow people, uh, 
statistics on population, on uh, just details about their life. And, and, and each of those posters is encouraging people to pray for that, 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 that Chinese group in the southern part of, of China. They were, um, they were having a banquet, a missions banquet, if you will. And they brought in a prominent speaker who works in missions and so on. And, and before the banquet, he was standing out in the hall, and this young man came up to him. And the young man said, excuse me, sir, are you from this church? And the speaker said, no, I'm not from this church. This is my first time here. The young man said, me too. In fact, this is my first time in any church. I'm from China. And I heard there was food, so I came. So the speaker welcomed him to the, to the, to the country, to the, to, the, to the U.S. and to the church. And the young man said, I need to ask you a question. What's this sign? He pointed to one of those posters about the, the male people. And, and, it, and what, the, what the poster said was, pray for the meow. And he wanted to know what that meant, what that was about. And the speaker said, well, these people are followers of, of Jesus and they're trying to help other people know about the love of Jesus. So that they've invited, they've asked their church to pray for this ethnic minority group of people in China. The young man said, that's amazing. Speaker said, what's amazing? The young man said, I'm meow. That's my people. The speaker said, well, this church has been praying for your people and for you. See, I think that's in keeping with how Jesus sees people. Here's the thing. You and me, especially if we've been in Baptist churches a long, long time, it is easy for us to feel that way about somebody living in another country where we have missionaries. We've been conditioned to do that. We're not as conditioned to do that with the people in our own country. Are we? We're not as conditioned to do that with the people in our own neighborhoods. The people in Hollywood. The people in D.C. People in the State House. people who go to our schools, work in our places of work. But see, the reality is the people in Rock Hill and York County and South Carolina and America are just like the people in, in China. They are distressed and dispirited sheep without a shepherd and the evil one is influencing them they don't understand it. They don't know it. But they're missing out on the living water and the green pastures that come with Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? I shall not want. He makes me to lie down where? Yeah, he leads me beside what? He restores and he leads me in the paths of for whose sake? Well, they don't have that.
And Jesus says, rather than hating them, have compassion on them. Besides, how are you and I ever going to influence anybody toward Jesus Christ if they know we don't like them? So let me go back to where I started. When you look out there at the people not in church this morning, what do you see? What do you think? And how do you feel? Is it remotely similar to what Jesus sees, what he thinks, and how he feels? It should be. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. Maybe there's people in your life, your sphere of influence, you need to pray for this morning. To kneel here at the altar and say, God, I am praying for Joe. I'm praying for Jane. I'm praying, whoever it is. Maybe there's a group. Maybe there's a group that you just... And yeah, they sin and they 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 make bad decisions and they, they hurt the people. They hurt people. Not minimizing that, but Jesus said a lot about loving our enemies, right? Didn't he? Didn't he? Well, if I love my enemies, I don't just keep thinking of them as enemies and hating them, because I can't love them and do that. Maybe there's a group you need to pray about and pray for. Pray for today. Maybe your own heart. You want God to make it more tender toward those without the shepherd. Maybe you just need to ask God, God, right now, start, start the process. God, start the process. Start me on a journey of looking at the people in this world a little bit more like you do so that I can, I can show them more of your love. If you need to join our church, Brother Jamie's here. I'm here. You can come today. You, if you need to request baptism because you're a follower of Christ but haven't taken that next step, because after you give your life to Jesus, the next step is to publicly be baptized and, and publicly declare your allegiance to Jesus. And if you need to give your heart to Christ because you realize this morning that He's not your shepherd, <laughs> Satan's been sending a lot of hired hands into your life, and today you want to give your life to the real shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. Then you come to one of us and say, today I want to follow Jesus. I want to become one of his sheep. And that can happen. We'll lead you in prayer as you give your life to Christ. Let's sing together. You come right now.